The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Well, this morning, uh, as we begin, we're going to be looking at uh, kind of a newer series in our sermon series. We've been talking a little bit about equipping for the last several weeks. Um, I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, but tonight we are having a meal downstairs around the supper hour, and um, we're going to be talking about... uh, we're calling it honest evangelism, sharing Christ with those you love. And I'm going to be sharing for about 20, 25 minutes about things that I have learned in this area. And then uh, we're going to be having table conversations as well. And so if you haven't got plans and you're not doing something else, I think you, you're just welcome to join us. George always has a little extra food. Right, George? Amen. Got a big nod there. So um, I would encourage you to, to uh, join us tonight. Also, you'll notice in your bulletin a little white insert like this, and um, that has a reminder on it uh, for you. If you didn't get a chance a few weeks ago to sign up, and you'd like to be part of this leadership focus, this book that we're studying in the sermon series and all the life groups, if you're not part of a life group perhaps, uh, this book that Don Cousins wrote is something that we're going to be looking at in the next six to seven weeks. And you'll notice that on this insert, there's home meetings and there's some meetings that meet here at the church building. Uh, This morning, for example, there was a 9 o'clock service. There's one. And uh, this evening, there's one. There's uh, through the week, there's various opportunities. So I would encourage you to sign up if you haven't. Uh, We would love to see as many people participating in this focus of study that uh, is all designed to help us be equipped as a body of believers. Well, it was about 20 years ago that I was at a conference, and a man by the name of J. Christie Wilson was preaching. And J. Christie Wilson was a missionary to Afghanistan for over 20 years. He and his wife, Betty, uh, had a very simple approach. They were actually probably one of the first modern tent-making ministries where they went and they, they just worked over there and they served the Lord. And what they did was they just taught English and they shared Christ with people. It was one of the first in that kind of vein of, of ministry that is so popular now. And J. Christie Wilson at the conference 20 years ago, when he was 75 at the time, I'm, I imagine he might be in glory by now, but at the time he shared this story of being in Afghanistan on, in an airplane and on a runway, getting ready to take off. And the stewardess of the airplane was uh, going through all the seatbelt stuff, and all of a sudden they saw a man run across the field, and he started banging on the airplane door. And, and they tried to ignore him, but he just banged louder and louder, and finally the stewardess opened the door just to crack and looked down at him, only to find that he was the pilot <laughs> of the plane. And so a couple of people lifted him up from his uh, armpits and got him back in, and then uh, got him up front, and he took off. You know... When J. Christie Wilson shared that story of his experience, he said this right after it. He said, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would hear me and let me in, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You know, it's interesting. That, that scripture is a... Uh, 
is a verse that's often used in evangelistic meetings. It's, it's, like, it's like Jesus is standing at the door of someone that's unsaved and he's knocking on their heart's door and, and the preacher says, you know, if you'll just open your heart and let Jesus in, he'll come and he'll save you. But if you look at the scripture in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, you can see that Jesus, the risen Lord, is not talking about unbelievers. He's talking to the church. In that case, he's talking to the church at Laodicea. In the church that I pastored in Thunder Bay, there is this enormous stained glass window. Did we get that ready yet? No, I don't think so. I have a picture of it, but I brought it here too late. So, uh, you know, you got to give these guys heads up, you know. So uh, it's, on the, it's on this side as I'm preaching, looking out at the congregation. Right there is a huge stained glass window. It has Jesus standing at the door knocking. It's not an evangelistic text. It's Jesus standing at the church's door knocking, saying, I'd like in. I'd like to be Lord of my church. I'd like to take the pilot's seat. I'd like to fly the plane. Will you give me the controls? It's an incredible text. What does it mean to avoid making the mistake that the church at Laodicea made? Do you remember what else Jesus said in that text? He, he said to, to the saints in Laodicea that... Uh, he wished that they were either cold or hot, but because they were lukewarm, he was going to spit them out of his mouth. How do we avoid making the mistakes that were made in the past by churches like Laodicea? This morning, the sermon title is entitled, Being a Church Led by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at why it was so important that Jesus send his spirit and what it is that the Holy Spirit is meant to be doing among us. And I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. And uh, look at this passage with me. John chapter 14. And we're going to begin in verse 15. Just reading a few verses. John 14, beginning in verse 15. Would you stand with me if you're able to and hear God's word preached? John chapter 14. Verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. May God bless his word. You may be seated. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus was not talking about his second coming in that verse. Jesus is talking about his very imminent coming at the time as he would send his Holy Spirit. And four times in John 14 to 16, four times Jesus uses a word to describe the Holy Spirit. He uses the word parakletos. It is the word para, which means alongside of, and uh, kaleo or kaletos, is, which means uh, a called one, the one that's called alongside of. And your translation might say counselor, some translations say advocate, comforter, helper. The only other time that this verb, or this noun, I should say, is used in all of the New Testament is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. And it's not used about the Holy Spirit in that text. It's used about Jesus himself. John is writing and he says, If any one of us as believers, if we sin, 
We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We have, we have a counselor, a, a, a lawyer, someone who's come called alongside to help us. Someone that's beside us speaking in our defense. If you've sinned, you need an advocate because you don't want to stand before a holy God in your sin. If anyone sins, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Notice in verse 16, back in John 14, that, that Jesus says that it's going to be another counselor. He's sending another counselor. Now, there's only two options that Jesus has in the Greek text to use in, in conveying this to us. There is either the word alon or the word heteron. The word alon means uh, another of the same kind as whatever else is referred to. And heteron means another, but of a different kind. Another of the same kind or another of a different kind? What kind is the another counselor that Jesus was planning to send? He uses the word alon, another of the same kind. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you another counselor, and he is of the same kind that I am. In other words, Jesus is not saying, I'm going to send you another counselor. He's going to be an inferior one, a second string counselor, a stand-in counselor until I come back in bodily form. No, this counselor is going to be exactly like me. The way that Jesus ministered on earth to those disciples and followers that he had when he was resurrected, those, that way he ministered, that's the way the Holy Spirit is going to minister, but not to just 120 or 200 believers, but millions of believers throughout all of time, because he says in verse 16, and he will be with you, not just until Christ returns, but forever. He will be with you forever. Incredible promise. In verse 17, Jesus teaches that the world cannot accept the Holy Spirit, this counselor. You got to hear that. The world cannot accept Holy Spirit in you. The world can't do that. The world doesn't accept him, doesn't believe in him, doesn't want to follow him. The world cannot accept it for two reasons. They can't see him and they can't know him. Now, you and I can't see the Holy Spirit either, but we can know him. And how is it that we can know him? According to Jesus in verse 17, we can know him because he lives with us and he will be in us. This is incredible. Jesus is saying that you become a Christian when you turn from sin. You invite Jesus in. And what does he do? He comes in. He comes into your life and he starts to take stock of all that's in your life. He starts to clean house. He starts to put things in order. He starts to take the pilot's seat and fly the plane. He wants controls. And the relationship that you have with Jesus through the Holy Spirit is the most intimate way that he could describe it. Think about that for a moment. You probably live with someone. Most of you here probably are living with someone right now. You, you live in the same home as someone. You probably know them. But you see, living under the same roof is not any kind of guarantee that you're really spending quality time together. I have known many families over the years of my pastoral ministry. They live under the same roof, but they are virtual strangers. I've seen that, that strangeness in a family destroy a family after time. 
Living under the same roof does not guarantee that you are intimate allies with each other. And living in the same body that you have with the Holy Spirit as resident in you does not guarantee that you know the Holy Spirit and that you are intimately connected with Him. And that's why we encourage family meals physically and spiritually. We encourage family meals because, you see, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open and let me in, I'll come in and I'll eat with him and he with me. Jesus is conveying in the spiritual realm what is true in the physical realm. We need to share meals together. We need to enjoy that most intimate relationship together. We can't be virtual strangers. And so in the scriptures, we see that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit, this counselor. On the last night before Jesus died, he explained that this is the kind of relationship he was going to have with us. He would not leave us as orphans. He would come to us in spirit form. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God the Father, and we now have this in incredible intimacy with him. And he comes in and he wants to take the pilot seat, but there's something default setting in us that says, no, I'd like you to take the co-pilot seat. You kind of want him on board, but maybe first officer or some other capacity. But Jesus says, no, I want to take the pilot seat. I want to fly the plane. I want to take you to where I have plans to take you. And I want you to follow my flight plan for life. And I want you to understand that I need to be at the controls and churches can have the same mistakes, make the same mistakes that, that individually we make where we, we really do not invite Jesus in. We do not really let him have control. And so if we're going to be a church that's led by the Holy Spirit, there are three things that I'd like to share with you this morning. First of all, we must learn to wait upon the Holy Spirit, and that means mostly by prayer. Secondly, we must learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we must learn to cooperate with him. Don Cousins, the author of the book that we're going to be studying this, this coming few months, in chapter 2 of the book, Experiencing Leadership, talks about having 17 years of nonstop ministry, and he ended those 17 years exhausted. He talks about having uh, every measure of success outwardly indicated, and yet coming to the end of 17 years and being absolutely exhausted in that mega church Willow Creek that was just blossoming so fast. And um, this is what he writes at the end of this, at the, in the middle of this season. He says, something was broken and in desperate need of being fixed. And he came to the conclusion that he was broken. And so he began a season of time, he writes about it in, in chapter 2 and in chapter 5 of the book, he starts asking God hard questions. Have you ever asked God hard questions in prayer and waited for real answers? That's what he started doing. In hindsight, he writes these words. This is from the book, page 46. He says, now I know that my goal and God's goal were different. I wanted an answer to my question, God wanted me. I was all about the product. He was all about the process. I was focused on the end. God was focused on the means to the end. I was searching for direction. God wanted me to search for Him. 
Perhaps that explains why God doesn't answer our questions or solve our problems right away. End quote. Don Cousins writes that the Lord spoke to him at that time, that season of time of seeking God and waiting on God in prayer. And he spoke through three means. He said he spoke clearly through the word of God. He spoke through the, the uh, counsel of a mentor that was in his life. And he spoke through the very intimate pleadings of the Holy Spirit. He writes about that. He writes about it. In Acts chapter 1, we read that after Jesus had been taken up into heaven, that the disciples were told to return to Jerusalem and wait. And they were to wait for the promise that Jesus had made, this counselor that was coming, that was going to be just like him. And they waited. They waited actually not passively, but they waited actively. They were praying, it says in chapter 1, verse 14. And for 10 days they were there until finally, after these 10 days, the Holy Spirit came. And Jesus, or sorry, Peter stood up on that day and he interpreted what was going on and he quoted from the book Joel. And he says that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit on everyone. You see, waiting is is part of God's plan for our lives. Not just in the New Testament, waiting for the Holy Spirit here, but we see that waiting is indeed part of the way God works. Because as we wait, we demonstrate our faith actively by seeking Him. Not just seeking plans, but Him, the author of plans. We see it in everyone Abraham and Sarah waited so long for that promised child. We see Moses waiting so long to be the one who would lead Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus. We see that uh, Paul the Apostle waited so long uh, before he could take up his ministry even after he had been saved. We see that David had to wait so long after being anointed king and then not being able to take his throne until many years later. We see Jesus, even Jesus, waiting so long until the age of 30 to begin his public ministry. You see, it's true of, of all things. God wants to teach us to wait upon him to get our eyes focused on Him and to understand that He has plans for us. It's not easy, but it's the pattern that God uses in order to shape His people and get us ready to be vessels that can be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. That applies to us privately and it applies to us as a church. Many of you have probably read the book by Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest, kind of a devotional daily thing all the way through the year. And uh, Oswald Chambers was a chaplain in the First World War for the British forces. And it is said of him that, that the British forces were sending him to Egypt, where it was dangerous, and, uh, and they were occupying there. And uh, he went, and then as he arrived, he, he realized that he had not sought the presence of God about that decision. And so he, he began to pray and earnestly seek God, whether or not his family should come and be with him, even though it was a dangerous place to be. And so he began to pray, and through the scripture and through the impression of the Holy Spirit upon his prayer life, he felt that even though against all counsel from others, he decided that he would call for his wife and children to come and live with him in Egypt. And night after night, as Oswald Chambers sat in the tent with soldier after soldier that would come in for counsel or group, small groups of them, his wife, Biddy, would be sitting in the corner and she would be praying and she would be taking fastidious notes of all that was discussed and all the teaching and all the things. Now, Oswald Chambers died in the First World War. 
And following the war, she had volumes of journals that she had written at that time that later were published. The books you and I read today, Oswald Chambers, are published afterwards. Now, that wouldn't have happened to transform many lives since the First World War if he had not listened to the Holy Spirit and said, I will go against what seems to be logic here. What does he write about? In the moment of wrestling through this decision, I want to go back now at the moment when he has peace from God and he knows that God is asking him to bring his family to Egypt. Here's what he says. He says, no man by mere high human wisdom would dare undertake a step for Jesus' sake unless he knows that the Holy Spirit has directly spoken to him. Do you believe in that kind of intimacy about decisions that you're making that the Holy Spirit can directly speak to you about? That leads to our second point. That if we're going to wait, if we're going to hear from the Holy Spirit and we need to wait upon Him, but listening to Him is another step in that direction. Henry and Richard Blackaby have written a book called Hearing God's Voice. And they speak of this whole matter of how the Holy Spirit has been given to us in John 14, like I read earlier. He was given to us to remind us of everything that Jesus has taught and to tell us of things yet to come. And uh, through the Holy Spirit, we're never going to get taught or led in some way that is contrary to Scripture, contrary to the will of God. But He is a personal God. He teaches us and He guides us. When you and I became Christians, it, 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 it was not a set of doctrines that took up residency in our hearts. It was a person. It was God's person, the Spirit. And, and when we when we come to know God and, and pray specifically, it is not a, a Bible or a set of doctrines that, that somehow give us direct and specific answers. Sometimes I look at the Bible and I don't have a specific answer to the prayer that I'm praying, but God, by His Spirit, takes and applies a scripture so that I understand how He's leading me. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, it, it says, Paul says the, that the Spirit, he prays the Spirit of wisdom and revelation upon the Ephesian believers. Why? So that they would know Him better. Don't you want to know Him better? Because if you know Him better, you're, you're going to know also His ways better in making decisions for your life. James writes that if we lack wisdom, we can ask God, and He gives liberally this wisdom, but we must not doubt. It's an incredible opportunity that God gives us to walk personally with Him He's not a horoscope. He's not a vending machine. He's not a gimme God. He's the God that says, if you'll take me seriously, if you'll put a stop to all the other voices that are crowding in from the outside and in your own head, and you'll listen to my voice, I'll speak to you. I'll guide you. That's the kind of Holy Spirit I am. David through David, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. You may never hear the Holy Spirit speak audibly. I haven't. I believe in testimonies that might have. I know there's dangers in, in even suggesting that. We can hear people that are going to misuse this all kinds of ways. But friends, I'm speaking pastorally today. 
And I'm saying to you, we have to believe in a God that speaks. We have to believe in a God that's present. We have to believe in a God that's just like he said to the church at Laodicea, I, I know your ways. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Did you know that in Revelation 2 and 3, the latest book written in all of the New Testament, the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, ready to die, perhaps the last apostle alive, before the church age begins, what's the word? In all seven of the churches, local churches that he speaks to, in all seven churches, he says this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now, I must conclude from that that the Spirit has something to say to White Ridge Baptist Church in this age, in this time. We cannot take the, the models, the strategies, the things that other churches are doing and say, well, working over there, let's try that. Let's try to minister in our community that way. It seems to be working there. No, the Spirit of God might be saying something absolutely different. It's not about the, the strategies and the mechanisms. It's about the Spirit of God who birthed the church and wants to walk it out with us. And so we must learn to listen. I was at Mission Fest on Friday evening, and we heard Barnabas Mam, the Ambassadors for Christ International spokesman, and he he was a Buddhist in Cambodia. He grew up in a Buddhist home. And as he came, grew up, he was in, in, inscripted by the Communist Party, the Khmer Rouge, to go and to spy on the Christians. And so he was assigned a Christian group. They met in little homes of 15 to 20 people. And uh, Barnabas Mam went and he was spying on the Christians. Guess what happened? He became a Christian. Heard the gospel came to know the Lord, much time later, he himself is imprisoned as a Christian. And there he is in this dark, cold cell where he knows many Christians have sat before, have already been taken out and killed. And there he sat, and he says, I have no Bible, and I have no pastor, and I have no brother or sister in Christ. I've got nothing. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to him in dreams. And the Holy Spirit began to say to him, son, I'm not finished with you yet. You will be my witness in Cambodia and way beyond. And he took, he took notes at that time in his life of the dreams that God the Spirit was giving him. And he'd wake up and he'd write down what he had, he had heard and seen. And that, he demonstrated on Friday evening, was, was almost like a plan for his life after he was released and all the, the things that took place that God just fulfilled. God spoke to him. The Holy Spirit spoke to him in dreams. Again, my concern this morning is pastoral. I want to be part of a people who believe God still speaks. I want to be on a journey that God is taking us on. I want him to be in the pilot's chair, and I want him to take the lead. There's so many ways we could address this, but let's move on to the third point, and that is simply that we must learn to cooperate with God the Spirit. You know, there's two ways that you can, you can live the Christian life. You can try living it in your own strength, and you can try living it in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's also two ways you can read the Bible. You can read it and think that it's all about you and what you need to do, 
Or you can read it and you can see that it's all about Jesus and what he has already done and what he has promised he will do through the other counselor that he said he would send to live in you. See, you can read the Bible both ways. You can say, well, it's all about me. I'm trying hard. I'm trying harder than I did last year. Or you can say, no, it's not about me. I could never live the Christian life. It's about Jesus. And it's about his spirit in me to make possible in me the things that are impossible. Tell me, those of you who uh, studied aviation history, looking at Dan Penner over there, does this date ring a bell? June the 12th, 1979. Probably not. It's not that. June the 12th, 1979 was an incredible date in aviation history. A young man by the name of Brian Allen made aviation history when he flew a bicycle pedaled powered plane it was called the Gossamer Albatross, and he flew it across the English Channel. He took off from Folkestone, England, and he pedaled for two hours and 49 minutes, nonstop, rarely 15 feet above the sea. He, he, he Can you imagine if he wanted to just stop for a minute and take a sip of water? I mean, that thing was coming down if he didn't just keep on pedaling. And he lands in France two hours and 49 minutes later, and he is exhausted, dehydrated, exhausted from the journey. And he proved that human-powered airplanes don't really work too well. <laughs> Guess what? The Christian life doesn't work well either in human power. And is that the way your Christian life is described? It's like, if I ever let up, I'm history. I've got to keep hard and trying. You see, Jesus did not intend the Christian life to be lived that way. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The power of the Holy Spirit in us is meant to enable us to live the Christian life, to impact our world for Jesus. Let him do the heavy lifting. You were not designed to. You were meant to rest in him. That's why Jesus on that night when he taught about the Holy Spirit, he used just one metaphor. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Can you imagine a little branch trying to bear more fruit separate from the vine? Does that not make absolute nonsense? And that's the Christian trying to bear fruit apart from the Holy Spirit's presence. Would you come, worship team? And uh, I want to just pray as the worship team comes. And let me just bow as we do so. Well, Lord, I feel as though I, I want to pray in the words of John the Baptist when I say, that there is one among us whom we know not, that we are not as familiar with you, Holy Spirit, as we would like to be. And Lord, um, we confess that we're not good at waiting. We can be so impatient, and we're not good at listening. We do too much talking in prayer, and we simply do not sit still long enough. And we're not good at cooperating with you, for we are so strong-willed and we're forever trying to accomplish something in our own strength. 
God, I pray that you'd be merciful to us, be Jesus uh, patient with us in spirit, helping and empowering us for your glory. Amen.